HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we are all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I am joined by an amazing cook, videographer, and social media personality, Adam Witt, who's also known as Omnivorous Adam. His quirky personality, combined with his amazing recipes and videography skills, are taking the internet by storm. He's doing big things on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. If you're not already following Adam on social media, check him out at Omnivorous Adam as you listen to this episode. Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, Adam. It is a pleasure to have you. Why, thank you, Alexa. Happy to be here. <laughs> Amazing. So we're obviously talking about what's for dinner and you do a lot of cooking. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of your food and family history. I know you had an interesting childhood as far as cuisines go. So kind of tell me about your early culinary inspirations and experiences. The early days, you ask. Um, Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, all right. Well, I mean, I've kind of always dug food, dug cooking, dug eating. Um, Kind of, uh, so my parents divorced, they split when I was really young, I was about two years old, and my dad remarried, and uh, his wife is half Japanese and half Korean, and grew up in Hawaii. So on that side, you know, you got my dad, who comes from a Jewish family, then you got my stepmom, who comes from where I just said, and that's kind of uh, made a cultural uh, melting pot, if you will, uh, just sort of of like different styles of food. So I grew up eating a lot of Korean food specifically. Um... You know, we went to Hawaii a couple times as a kid, and my stepmom just in general loves Hawaiian American food. So like your spam musubis, your loco mocos, that sort of thing. We we don't always have that in the house, but we whenever we'd go out to like a Hawaiian spot, you know, it would be an occasion and fun. And um, 
you know, it's funny. We kind of have super mixed family on that side. And my brother, uh, his, his dad's Puerto Rican. So he's, he's quite an interesting mix of, uh, ethnicity. So when we go out, it's like the two, like kind of like white Jewish dudes. And then just like this sort of like completely <laughs> Asian mix of, um, on the other half. And, and that's kind of the family. And, and we just went around and did our thing. We'd go out to eat a lot. A lot of the times we'd go to a Korean barbecue with my grandma, who is, uh, I would say my grandma, she's my step grandma. Um, she's a hundred percent Korean. So she'd go out and kind of run the show and show yeah. us to all the hot spots in Chicago and all that, that fun, fun stuff. Um, well, that is certainly a vibe and it's so funny. That <laughs> it's you, like, yes. Well, I'm just kind of learning a lot. I mean, obviously Chicago is like a, a diverse, you know, culinary city. So it was kind of probably really cool for you to have those kind of connections to the culinary universe there which you know if it was just you know you and you know your dad you'd probably be like oh let's grab a let's grab a dog (laughs) oh my god we'll grab dogs from now every every now and again but yeah as a bachelor like with just a dad and like a like a little boy there'd probably be many a dog many a dog dog, yes many (laughs) like a an owl's beef sandwich (laughs) yes oh my god northwestern coming out right now of course so (laughs) In the kitchen, when you were, you know, kind of watching your stepmom cook, or even if your dad was cooking, like, how involved were you? Were they kind of like teaching you from a young age? I know you said you always kind of were very into, you know, the culinary world. So were you kind of like learning from them? Or you were just like, I'm just going to eat this. <laughs> well, honestly, it was kind of a uh, growing up. It was kind of, I'm just going to eat this. And when I they don't have dinner ready for me, I'm just going to like make some like shin bowl or something, some ramen or something. And, um, or or something simple, you know, I wasn't really like super into food until college, but, um, I also want to mention my mom too. She's been a big influence on me as well. She, uh, a lot of her cooking is sort of like Eurocentric, like her, her family comes from Switzerland and France. And, um, so she's super into like, you know, she grew up here. She's a hundred percent American, but her dad was from, from Switzerland and her mom was from the South. She's from Kentucky. Kentucky, I think. I actually never got to meet my grandma and grandpa on that side. They died when I was uh, before I was born, when I was very young. Aww. But uh, but they've influenced um, my mom, and she's you know she's really into to French cooking. And we just did a video together. We made mussels provençal, which is just like herby tomatoey mussel dish, and it's on my YouTube channel that we just did. So and she so loves cute. she loves like the camera stuff too. Like she takes pictures and she has a little blog and. Oh my so God. We, we vibe over that. <laughs> oh my God. I love that for her. That is so cute. Oh my gosh. That is the most adorable thing. So you have kind of like the two sides there where it's like you're learning kind of, you know, the Asian side of things from your, from your stepmom, And then your mom's got that like European French, you know, interest. And also like with the whole, with all the camera work, like that's awesome. You have so many like cool people in your life to learn from and kind of grow with which is super cool yeah I guess I do (laughs) yes yeah lucky you (laughs) so when you has your cooking style kind of I know you said you started getting into food in college so has your style like evolved over time yeah I mean I'm sure you've changed a lot and you've become more and more professional obviously as the years have gone on so what how what has that evolution been like for you it's been a pretty wild ride. And before I go on, like, I'll say like, I still have so much to learn. I am not anywhere near where I like want to be. And like, you know what I mean? Like I've come, I've come a long way and I'm going to give myself credit in that aspect, but at the same time, 
there's so much to learn. Like even the best cooks in the world, like there's just, everybody has a certain way, a, a different way that works well of, of doing things. And part of the fun of cooking is, is traveling around and meeting people and experiencing different ways that different cultures and people learn to do things and adding that to your sort of like Rolodex and repertoire of culinary skills and, and building on that. And, uh, so when I first started, uh, I kind of got into cooking because of, uh, the, the big sort of uptick in food media that was largely, uh, present towards the beginning of the 2010s, you know, like with yeah. your different Netflix series and YouTube channels and whatnot that were big, but not, not really quite as many people as there were today doing it. But, you know, there were plenty of really good people out there. And, and I, I kind of liked the idea of being able to like work with my hands and use all my senses to create something that at the end of the day, you can, you can smash and just enjoy and eat. <laughs> and, um, and my friends like that too. Uh, which is, which was fun, you know, cooking for them and stuff. Cause even when I made stuff that wasn't that good, I'm cooking for a bunch of like college dudes, you know, they could care less. Yeah. Who so, cares? so, but it was a good, good training grounds and, uh, um, or at least a good place to, to learn that I wanted, that I was interested in, in food and wanted to get better at it. And I essentially, I graduated from school with a degree in journalism from uh, the university of Kansas yes. and, um, decided, you know, like I took a job as actually, <laughs> I took a job as, as a dishwasher. It was my first job after graduation. Parents the like glamour. the glitz glamour. is the glamour. <laughs> my parents like this is this is uh, this is why you're paying you know x amount of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars for tuition so that you can go be a dishwasher. So <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, basically. So um, I did that. I met some pretty wild people. Did that for a summer. Uh, I was planning on moving back home and worked some odd jobs and uh, in restaurants as kind of like a server and um is a waiter and have kind of had other experiences working in restaurants growing up too is like working at a at a it's sort of a deli as a cashier and concession stands and little high school jobs and whatnot but um essentially i was given an opportunity because uh i basically was invited to help my friend start and launch her food truck out in los angeles and uh, at first I was saying, no, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to stay home and start looking for a job somewhere in the intersection of using my degree in food. So something in food media. Um, and, you know, I said, no, I want to focus on this. And then eventually she broke me down and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to drive out there. I'll help you launch your business. I'll stay in LA for a few months or whatever. And uh, we'll see what happens. So I went out there. That was a wild couple of months. <laughs> that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But, um, and then I ended up coming home, working a few more odd jobs, kind of stepping back from that culinary side again, deciding, you know, I don't know if I'm going to want to work professionally in the kitchen. I got to like, you know, make good money, make a living, like get a quote, real job, you know, like little <laughs> bit I know like what that even meant. Yeah. And, um, and, and basically was given this opportunity, uh, from the same girl, um, Sammy Udell, shout out to whole Sam, who basically gave me this opportunity to be a private chef. And that was a weird one uh, because I had never done anything remotely close to that in my life. So at first I said no. And, um, and, and then I, I basically a job that I was planning on getting for sure fell through. And uh, you know, I called Sammy back up and I said, introduce me to the client. Let's like see where this goes. And uh, from there, it's kind of history. Um, we hit it off. She liked my food. And, um, you know, here we are. I'm like, a, a, you know, I was kind of turned into a private uh, chef with quotes around it overnight, but I had a <laughs> lot to learn and I still have a lot to learn. 
But, uh, you know, I hit the books and that's kind of lit a fire under my ass too. I'm, I'm sorry, I said ass. Can I swear? I think you could say yeah. ass. it lit this burning like desire to to you know learn as much as i can and sort of gave me this uh i want to say like an inferiority complex but sort of in a good way and i think it's worked out to my benefit wow so what you're i mean you said you hit the book so like what was that train i mean how did you because you i mean you didn't have like formal culinary training and you had worked on the food truck like how did you kind of teach yourself to be cooking at that caliber to be a private chef like what was that kind of like that quote-unquote training like um well uh you know I kind of it came from a lot of different places first off I bought a ton of different cookbooks um I would like peruse reddit I would ask questions on different forums I was lucky enough to have some people in my life who are very had already been talented cooks I had mentioned, um, you know, my friend Sammy, a couple of friends that I had met doing that uh, out in LA, um, you know, like you know, when I need to, like my mom or whatever. But really, it, it came to, um, to to different websites, to YouTube videos, to and, and and honestly, just screwing up a lot. That's what I always tell people. I always tell people we're fortunate enough to people who ask me, like, you know, how did you just become a private chef? This and that. It's like we're like fortunate enough to live in this like age of the internet, you know, everything that you want to learn to do is online. Um, and it, it, that'll break down into a, uh, a knowledge versus wisdom thing where, you know, you can learn as much as you can. You can learn anything online, but that doesn't mean you like really know how to do it. And yeah. that's where the messing up comes in. That's where you look something up, you, you understand the technique and, and how to uh, go about doing it. And then you just practice it until you get really good at it. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'll say about that. Just a lot of different YouTube channels, a lot of different books and put myself to like through this like disciplined, like I would practice every day for a long time. That's so cool. And I mean, it's almost, I mean, in a sense, like more impressive than, you know, those who have gone to culinary school because it's very, you know, if you go to culinary school, it's formal and rigid and you're doing something, there's a means to an end, but you're just kind of winging it and (laughs) teaching yourself (laughs) and having to have that discipline with yourself of like, oh, I need to master, you know, this sauce today, or I need to, you know, properly cook salmon today or whatever it is that you're doing. You're kind of coming up with a curriculum for yourself. And that's, that's really cool to be able to have that like personal, like rigor in the sense that you can kind of train yourself to become, you know, have some culinary expertise in a, enough to be, a, you know, doing it full time as a professional. So that's very cool stuff. I love that. Um, so how do you approach what's for dinner each night for yourself and then also for your clients? I'm sure those are two very different things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, they, they are. Uh, so for my clients, you know, I've been doing this for, this is coming on to like year three now, or it has been three years, somewhere around there. I kind of know what they like, what their jams are, what they prefer to stay away from. And um, they like quite simple, healthy, um, to use your term, Americano, if you will, um, type food. So that's, that I kind of, I kind of hit, I kind of have a weekly rotation that I go through, not the same exact thing every week, but it, it varies. Um, what are like so, some examples of what you make for them for dinner? Sure, I, I do like like a like a salmon niçoise or like a tuna niçoise, which is just like this mixed salad with like a simple like bright lemony, citrusy vinaigrette and some like seared tuna or salmon over the side. Sometimes I'll switch it out for skirt steak, that sort of thing. 
Um, I also just do like a simple like pasta dish every once in a while with some like gluten-free like alio aolio and maybe like a protein on the side. Um, you know, different like when, when the summer rolls around, I do a lot of, they, they love grilled stuff. So I, I pretty much like throw everything on the grill, kind of like make different sort of like marinated vegetable dishes and uh, different styles of kebabs with really bright, fun sort of like condiments on the side, whether that be like uh, yogurt sauces, garlic sauces, like spicy harissas, like pestos, you know, the fresh herbal things they, they really dig. So um, awesome. I, I usually hit them with that. <laughs> cool. And then for yourself, what do you type, what, what kind of stuff do you make for yourself? And what, what, yeah, you, where, uh, what I'm sure you have different cravings and different, uh, Oh, did you guys just hear my cat? <laughs> I did. <laughs> and, yeah, we still have to introduce my cat to your cat. But yes. Um, uh, to answer your question, yeah, I don't. Uh, it 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 varies because you know I do a lot of cooking in in if on my own, like outside of work, and um, like for my videos and whatnot. Yeah. And you know, usually I'll you know if I have friends over the next day or you know in this COVID world that that happens, but on a slower and lower scale, I should say. You know, yeah. my girlfriend and I will repurpose leftovers and I've gotten really good at doing that at sort of um, taking food that's just kind of in my fridge, sprucing it up and, you know, being able to spend more time editing and, and coming home from work and doing what I need to do around the house um, and less time like cooking myself and just like a fresh dinner, though I do do that a lot. I find myself still doing that a lot, but yeah. um, I would say repurposing leftovers and um it's, it's, you know, it's funny because when you ask cooks this and like people, people who cook for a living, you know, it's, it's kind of not the answer people like are expecting to or wanting to hear, you know, it's not like I'm cooking oh, for myself, sure. these insane, like multi-course, like lobster dinners. Every day. Yeah. Cause they cook all day and they're like, I, I, I mean, even just with my job at the feed feed, I have to, you know, I make a lot of food for, you know, right. on camera and whatever. And it's like, by the time the evening comes yeah. around, like I don't, cook on camera every day but even the days that I do a few times a week I'm like I don't feel like cooking again like I already cooked and cleaned like you're doing it all day so you don't want to you know go through all that effort again when you're just like whatever I'm fine just heating up whatever ordering (laughs) in and no I totally get that and it's so it's so funny because people probably do always expect that when you talk to someone who's a you know professional chef like what do you make for dinner they're like pasta like i don't know yeah. I, I, I tend to it's funny we're doing a podcast in general because I, t- I tend to struggle with like you know classic questions that that the average person might ask a chef yeah like, what's your signature dish like that one I'm, i always like have to take a step back and like not be a dick because i'm like, okay. <laughs> like i was like okay like I, we're not going to get into it, but that's the type of question. I just have, I have trouble answering favorite type questions. And ever since I was a kid, like when somebody asks me like what my, what my favorite like band is, I'm always like, dude, I can't answer that. It's just stressing me out. <laughs> that's so, so you're indecisive. I bet somebody who is listening to this will probably just be like, oh, he's such a Virgo. Like, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't want to say I'm indecisive. Cause that's because that, I'm actually the opposite. I'm not indecisive. It's that I have certain moods. And when I'm in certain moods, I want certain things. Like if I'm like in mood X, I'm not going to want the same thing that I'm going to want if I'm in, you know, mood Y on a tropical beach. If it's like the middle of winter, I'm sitting in my like apartment and I want some like braised, you know, warming, like yummy short ribs. That's going to sound a lot better than like, um, 
I don't know, like bright fish tacos or like, you know, even to, to go on something else, like a, like a, like a snow cone. You know what I mean? I'm not going to want that on like a cold winter day. So it's that's like, valid. Just, you know what I'm saying? It's just, there's too many options here. <laughs> no, that that's true. And that's completely valid. Well, I will take this opportunity to, uh, <laughs> say that we're going to take a quick break right now and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Okay, so on to the next question, Adam. Welcome back. Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you, who inspires you? Oh, man. I have a lot of inspirations. I'm blessed and... I don't, I don't like to throw that term around a lot, but I am blessed to like be part of a family who like, you know, enjoys cooking and food. So of course my mom inspires me. My step grandma inspires me when it comes to thinking about old food memories. Um, as far as like, as far as other chefs go and cooks go, I'm inspired by uh, a, a few people. One of them's, um, if you cook, you know, who this is Jacques Pepin. Sort of this like old school legendary. Wouldn't it be like hip hong? <laughs> uh, yeah, or something. I probably completely butchered that, but yeah, not not a Frenchie. But um, so essentially, yeah, he's he's the man. I mean, he's so legendary. His work with Julia Childs and back in like the eighties and the nineties and maybe even the seventies. I'm not sure. We'd have to fact check that. <laughs> um, you know, he's been putting his cooking on camera. It was really some of the one of the first pioneers to sort of like introduce like mainstream television to cooking and, and real cooking because his background is, is amazing and the things that he's done and accomplished in his life. And um, I'm part of his uh, foundation. I joined it and donate to it. And I just really like what he's doing over there, teaching like young kids to cook and stuff. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, he's the man. Um, I don't know him personally, but I would imagine he's the man. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> like me and Jacques, last time yeah, we went out for brewskis, he <laughs> Jacques, Jacques doesn't drink brew, right? No. Yeah, Jacques, Jacques would never. No, yeah, but he he's a big inspiration of mine. I think he's great. Um, another one is uh, Chef Grant Crilly. Uh, he is uh, one of the co-founders or a founder of Chef Steps, which is um, a company that makes a product called the Jewel. 
um, which is a sous vide, and they also have a badass YouTube channel where, I mean, these, this guy's background is in uh, molecular gastronomy, so he does this, these like crazy techniques using all these different cool chemical compounds to manipulate food in ways that you just like don't see every day. But yeah. not only that, he's just like a sandwich cook. He's a he's he's funny and quirky on film, and so I, I like him because he's been able to build a sustainable business. He makes really great videos in terms of like the production side, and he's an extremely technically sound and badass cook. So I I really think he's great. Cool. And, um, also what a lineup. The Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> of course, naturally. I just like really, I, I was actually thinking about this question randomly the other day because I was like, who's like people who I like look to and think about like often? It would have to be the Beastie Boys. Like, I mean, I grew up listening to them. Um, just like a bunch of like completely like wacky, like white Jewish kid, like rapper kids from like golden era hip hop New York in like the 80s and 90s like that. I just like love their music, the stories that I've heard about like the crazy antics they have on stage and stuff like really uh, informs a lot of of what I do in a sense, like not directly, yeah. but I, I your really vibes, like their energy. Yes. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah. Cause you've obviously taken the culinary and the cooking skills and combined that with, you know, quirkiness and being kind of weird and goofy on camera. And I feel like that, you know, with your social media growth has a lot to do with it because people love the personality. They love like the little weird things that you do and like your weird sound effects. And so is that kind of something that you've developed over time? Like I'm sure if we look back on some OG omnivorous Adam videos, they're probably oh, wow. very different. So is that something that <laughs> how, do you, how have you developed that? Just kind of like getting more comfortable and just like, because I mean, people ask all the time, people ask all the time, like, how do I grow on social media? How do I, you know, how do I grow right. my brand? And every expert who answers that is like, be authentically yourself. And I think that's something that you really are. So how did you find that ability to do that? Ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, kind of. I mean, hey, listen, uh, yeah, a lot of my early stuff is extremely cringe, and arguably my new stuff is still extremely cringe, depending on who you ask. And that's kind of the nature of it, you know? Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, you, you have to, and it sounds so damn cliche, and I really wish I could say more to, to help more people, but you just kind of have to go for it and do it. And yeah. when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm doing what I do, I, I'm thinking about the technique and like the angles I need for my camera and less about what I'm doing on camera. And I think if people take that approach of just kind of like focusing on what needs to be done and just kind of remaining to be yourself, talk to the camera like you would a friend, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, just, just mess around and, and have fun with it. And, or if, uh, if you don't like to have fun and you're more of like a serious type person, then try, you know, don't try, but, uh, exude that energy is going to exude in your videos. And some people like that. And, there's a lot of people who have found success uh, both both ways. So yeah. you just got to kind of be yourself and understand that not everybody's going to like what you're doing. Um, in fact, there's going to be, especially at the beginning, it can be really tough when you hear like negative stuff about what you're doing. But you know, deep down, like, and, you know, you have a lot of improving to do. And the only way that you're going to improve is to keep practicing, keep pushing forward, keep creating stuff. And um, you just have to kind of like have sort of like an iron stomach, like if you will. Um, 
the whole way through because it doesn't get any easier. As you grow, more and more people um, are going to spread hatred. So, but, yeah. you know, the whole, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to end on that negative note. <laughs> You're going to spread <laughs> hatred, but, but there's also plenty of people and the majority of the people who are going to, you know, follow you for a reason because they like what you're doing. They like your energy. They like, even if they don't like to cook, maybe they just find your, that you, they like watching your videos for whatever reason. There's going to be more of those people than the hatred, but the people out there who, who are trolling and that sort of thing, they're going to be around and, and a big part of sort of figuring this all out is for me learning how to deal with that. Cause it used to like really piss me off, like genuinely. Ooh. And it's, it's kind of been this, uh, this, this journey of like learning that they're just kind of always going to be there not to take anything personally because they're just, they're just sad on the inside, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's just such an, uh, that could be many, many podcasts in and of itself, just talking about kind of the social media landscape and it's hard to teach it. Yeah, no, it's definitely, yeah, it's something that is a different journey for every person and everybody has different experiences with it. And um, yeah, I'm glad that you have come to a point in your evolution where you're kind of letting those, you know, comments roll off your back and just kind of doing what you do and learning and improving. And it's just really, really cool to see. So tell me um, some ingredients that you always have in your kitchen. And I know that some of these are going to be things that you've probably made me get that are now always in my kitchen since I cooked with you. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I've got kimchi. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's number one. Yes. You always kimchi. have kimchi. What else do you have? <laughs> Different kimchis. Um, but right now I just have the normal standard Napa cabbage. I also have, um, that's funny. I almost want to like walk to my fridge and I'm scared I'm going to like lose connection. <laughs> Um, but I always have jardinera on hand, which is sort of such a Chicago boy. (laughs) I always get that comment whenever I bring it up, but it's true. It's like, so it's this like spicy or it can be sweet, I guess, but I like the spicy kind, um, like Italian pepper mix. It's like an Italian American pepper mix sort of that lives in this, like this, like nice peppery oil. And you just kind of smooth it over pizza. You can even mix it into like pasta, put it on bread. Sort of, it's a topper for everything, and I like buying the uh, the relish version, which is all mint stuff, and kind of putting that on literally everything I eat. So um, <laughs> there's that, and then um, yeah, what do we got? Kimchi, jardinera, <laughs> <laughs> two classic combos. Ice cubes, no. Um, yeah, the Mount Rushmore of <laughs> Adam's cooking is kimchi and jardinera. I guess I always have rice on deck because it's like really easy to just toss in my rice cooker and like have a nice like side or make like a mixed rice dish or something. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you do. I mean, you you do a lot of Korean inspired cooking. I feel like rice is a a big part of that. So that definitely yeah, or even just like different kinds of you know like basmati or something like that. If I'm feeling something a little more like little Eastern Mediterranean type vibe, but I would say rice, kimchi, um, jardinera, and then probably like QP mayonnaise. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, because uh, the MSG in the QP mayonnaise makes QP mayonnaise amazing. Is that really um, why it's so good? Yeah. Oh. MSG, which um, is an amazing feat in culinary development that I love. And I do have like powdered versions of MSG on deck too, but I wouldn't say that's like a kitchen staple. Huh. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And have you tried? I'm you. Uh, this reminds me. You you were talking about molecular gastronomy earlier, 
And yeah. in my experience in Chicago, I feel like, I mean, that's big and trendy in like most food cities, but Chicago, especially like with Alinea and Grace and, you know, the aviary and all these right. really popular, uh, you know, Michelin starred spots, you know, mostly with Grand Acats and, you know, these folks that have really trailblazed the molecular gastronomy field, especially in Chicago. Is that something that you are trying to pick up on or do more of? Um, I know that trend is kind of, it was probably bigger a few years ago, like maybe like 2015. I feel like everybody, you know, Richard Blaze was doing it on TV and it was, you know, Alinea was huge and all these things were so cool. I don't know how, especially since people can't go to restaurants now really in a lot of cities, like molecular gastronomy just doesn't, I mean, you can't do like a a bubble cocktail with flames and stuff um, at home for takeout. So is that something that you've dabbled with or trying to? I have to an extent. I wouldn't say I'm trying to. I have to an extent. You know, I've messed with the ISI, uh, which if you're unfamiliar, is like a whipping siphon that you put like CO2 charges into and you can make different creams and and uh, like all that sort of cool stuff like bubbles and foams. Um, but it's not really my style. It's not really what I'm interested in. It's not really where I come from. I have some friends who have uh, spent time at Alinea uh, who think that stuff is kind of cool. Other people have spent time at Alinea and kind of think that stuff is kind of lame by the time they leave. Um, but would I call it a trend? Probably not. I think it's a, it's a distinct category of food that's going to be around forever. And, um, I really don't think it's like sort of like a cool, like, yeah, restaurants can be trendy, but Alinea has also stood the test of time and they've been a three Michelin star restaurant for, okay, we're going to fact check this, but I want to say like at least a decade, like eight years, something like that. Yeah. It seems Um, like a lot every year they get it. Yeah. Maybe more. Uh, and you know, Grant's story is incredible and, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to have, uh, as part of your city and sort of your, like your city's culinary sort of story. And, um, and I, I think it's cool and I respect it, but I'm not too interested in it, to be honest, like personally. Yeah. I feel like maybe uh, is your vibe maybe more like comfort food, would you say? Um, yeah. I mean, I love comfort. Who doesn't love comfort food, right? Um, I like, yeah. uh, I like to say, um, I'm kind of, you know, just because of my background and where I come from, I'm kind of in this middle ground where I feel that my experience has led me to be able to communicate with both the, home, you know, the prosumer, if you will, sort of like uh, grandma, like soul cooking home cook, and also the restaurant chef who is a little more technical, a little more measured, um, you know, thinks through things on, on a certain level with certain, uh, you know, breaths of knowledge. I think I'm somewhere in the middle there. And I think that uh, it's kind of cool to be, because honestly, I kind of figured that out like kind of recently. And when I was trying to figure out my space in this world and where I want my career to go and all, all that type of stuff. Um, but I think my style somewhere, in the, it sits in the middle of those two. Cool. And this is something that has come up a lot in like recent discussions, obviously in the last year, um, kind of like the proliferation of TikTok chefs and how, people who, you know, were, I mean, you've been on YouTube for a while and, you know, doing, you know, social media stuff for a while and for, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably really took off with the, you know, being, becoming popular on TikTok. And that has kind of, in a way, changed like the entire landscape of, you know, food media, because these people who really didn't have much of a platform before are now like huge in the space. And, are producing short form, like, 
fun videos that are a completely different style than like the traditional like Food Network vibes. And so how does it feel to be kind of like part of that like new wave of, I guess, you know, social media, big chef personality that like really didn't exist before like a year ago? Well, well, thank you. Um, I hardly consider myself that, but, but thank you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's cool. Uh, it's cool to see like all these different people come out and, and make videos like, and just, just, just create stuff and put it out there. Um, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. It, everybody sort of who has been able to create videos and, uh, gain an audience or some sort of type of a following through making those videos kind of has something unique and different to bring to the table uh, for whatever reason it might be. So it's cool to kind of, you know, it, and it's, it's funny you say that because I, I feel like I could be scrolling through my phone and discover a YouTube channel or a TikTok account that I had never seen before that has like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. Yes. And I'm just like, whoa, like, who's this guy? You know, yeah, like, like, where did they come from? Yeah, like, now that I'm in this space, and, and I can't lie, like, um, I'm fairly competitive with a couple aspects in life where I, where I deem it, um, where I think I can compete in doing things. And when I see stuff like that, it, and when I, meaning when I see like an account that I, that I have never seen before, that, that has like tons of followers, and I'm like, ooh, like, what's this guy up to? Like it, it just, it inspires me to just keep going. You know yeah. what I mean? And to, to keep, to keep it up and keep my edge up and continue to research and make videos and upgrade everything. Cause, um, it's not just about the cooking. Um, you know, it's, you have to doing this type of work. I mean, you wear a lot of hats. It's about the production, the editing, marketing. If you're doing this and you're trying to make a living full time, running your own like business, making food media content. Uh, you know, you have to wear a lot of hats. So. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be working with brands, and it's right. it's a very complicated, uh, I guess, job. If that's going to be your job, it really is full time, and it's very um, intense. I, I know from the people I know who do it full time, and it's not you know people think like, oh yeah, food influencers, and it's just kind of changed because you know five years ago, you know, the food influencer on Instagram was you know just kind of food porn, you know, cheese pulls, rainbow bagels, you know, kind of that yeah. type of stuff. And now I feel like it's, you really got to be doing like cutting edge video stuff to be, and to make, to be making any noise in the space. And that's something that you and I went to school for. Like I went to university to study becoming like a media professional. And now, you know, there's people all over the country and the world who are, have taken basically personal crash courses on how to, you know, they were, there was a ton of chefs who were laid off in the pandemic that had, didn't know what else to do other than just making TikTok videos or YouTube videos of them cooking at home and seeing if that took off. And so like people who literally just worked in a restaurant for their careers are now video professionals. <laughs> and it's just, it's truly crazy to see. And I, you know, it's, it's very fascinating how, the landscape just like keeps changing and it's almost it's somewhat in a way similar to the restaurant industry um and having to be you know innovative and pivoting and just since the pandemic started having to like completely change and be on your toes and willing to adapt and grow with you know what the market is demanding so it's just me being on kind of both sides of it as like you know someone who's 
covered restaurants and, you know, call myself, you know, a food journalist. And, you know, I'm really tapped into the restaurant scene and also very involved with what's going on in social media. And it's just like this ever adapting, changing situation that's like almost impossible to nail down like one month to the next. Um, So it's just, yeah, it's really, really cool to see. And I'm glad that you have found like a niche for yourself in the space. But as you said, it's kind of every, every time you see someone new, you're like, it's just this never ending battle of like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to change this just to keep up. And it is craziness. And yeah, it's just, it's, I'm, you're a great guest for this podcast because what's for dinner for you means something very different than, you know, kind of a more traditional, I guess, not old school, but it's, it's just, yeah, you're kind of like the new age of what food media is all about these days, which is, I guess, congrats to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's a wild, it is, it's a wild game and it can be exhausting trying to keep up with things and, and seeing, staying relevant and stuff, but, um, but it's, you know, let's take a step back. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like I, sure. I enjoy doing this. Like I enjoy making these videos. I enjoy posting them. Like no matter the comments, like I enjoy sort of like, you know, responding and it's just, it's like, it gives me energy. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. Love that. Love that positive vibe. It's true though. <laughs> um, okay. One more question for you. How often do you grocery shop? Oh, Christ. Um, many a time a week. Uh, I want to say between, well, you know, I pretty much go for my clients. I'll, I'll go to like different markets in the grocery store daily, usually. Yeah. Um, so I want to say at least five, six times a week. Jeez. Yeah. I like getting stuff. Like I like seeing what's there. I tend to... Sometimes I'll make a menu for two days in a row and I'll get double the groceries um, on that one day. But I find myself walking to the to the stores, walking into the stores about five times a week, six times a week. Wow. So you're basically, you live in the grocery store. What's your, what's your store of choice? Um, Mariano's? No, I actually, I do a lot of shopping at Whole Foods, um, which yeah. is kind of funny to say. But um, as far as like specialty places, like, you know, I'm lucky like you're, you're in New York, I'm in Chicago. Like we have a lot of like different markets to go to and choose from. And, um, you know, the bulk of what I do is probably, um, like when it's nice out, I'll go to the farmer's market, but yes. you know, clearly we're in the middle of winter right now. So a lot of the produce that I buy is from whole foods. You could also join like different CSAs and some farmers will send you like winter vegetables, which I've been meaning to do for a while, but I've not gotten around to it. But also, you know, places like classic, like places like um, Publican Quality Meats here in Chicago. We have Paul yes. Market. There's a big German butcher, like right down the street from where I live that I like to go to every now and again. So there's plenty of uh, really cool specialty stores to go to, to uh, get um, sort of more chefy, for lack of a better term, um, lack of a better word, items, you know. Yeah. And do you encourage that for people who are maybe trying yeah, to like up there? culinary skills is like checking out like little markets. I mean, if you have them available to you. And Absolutely. Like a, yeah. Cause you can find things and experiment with stuff. Right. And that's extremely important. I think. And uh, another, like just to kind of go back and when I was learning to, when I, I'm still learning to cook, right. But when I really first started like wanting to get into cooking, a huge part of like sort of this like self-made curriculum, if you want, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that I put myself through was, to just whatever I didn't know, like what a food, what an item of food was or this or that, like I would just put it in my cart. 
as you can if you can imagine, I spent a lot of money on things I just like didn't even understand or know what to deal with. But <laughs> I bring them home. I bring them home, and you know you just start doing your research and you play with it. And you feel it. You smell it. You touch it. You figure out how you're going to use it, and then um, you know once you have an understanding of of uh, a top level view of a bunch of simple. Uh, core techniques you can manipulate it in a lot of different ways and that's part of what being somebody who works with food is that's a big part of it it's just kind of turning the ordinary into something extraordinary just through basic simple techniques that you learn over time tm trademark that <laughs> that is the the adam witt philosophy turning the ordinary into the extraordinary through simple I techniques feel like a disney channel guy <laughs> <laughs> That was good. I love that. Um, well, Adam, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a delight and a pleasure as always. And I feel like I learned a lot and it's just always fascinating to learn more about um, kind of your story and what you're doing day to day. And it's just always a thrill. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on here, Alexa. It's always fun talking to you. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed. And don't forget to check out at Omnivorous Adam as well on his platforms. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve the what's for dinner question, we'd love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening. <laughs>